0: me again, right? Like, it would make us very nervous. I think most of us would get very nervous to pray in front of people. I know uh, sometimes on Wednesdays we meet out here and we pray and we walk around and pray for the community, and uh, there's a few of us that are like, everyone else can pray, I'll pray quietly, just don't make me pray out loud. I mean, what if we say something wrong? I think about that sometimes as the pastor, like, what if I'm real tired and I'm praying and I say something wrong and people are like, he's a heretic, how dare he say that? Uh, what if we call god the wrong thing what if people judge us how little we know like when we pray and they're like man they don't know anything like what is wrong with them Uh, my sister was asked to pray one time and she she was tired and she started her prayer like this dear heavenly old lady and um you know everybody's like you're praying to the old grandma in the sky like and she's like oh i mean dear heavenly father you know um jesus though when he was teaching his disciples he said Don't worry about what people are going to think about how you pray. Our prayers aren't for people. Our prayers are for God. God's not impressed with the fancy words and the beautiful delivery. Sometimes somebody will get up and they'll pray a prayer where we're like, that was so beautiful. That was just amazing. But you know what? If they had performed Shakespeare, we would have been just as moved. Um, God isn't impressed with their beautiful delivery or how many big words they know or the fact that they have a theology word of the day calendar. He longs for raw, honest conversations with people whom he loves and people who love him. Flowery prayers may impress people, but honest, raw prayers impress God. We've been reading through the Sermon on the Mount, and we pick up in Matthew chapter 6, verse 5, and Jesus says this, When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they receive their full reward. When you pray, go in your room, close the door, pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. When you pray, don't keep on babbling like for They think they'll be heard if they just say a lot of things. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask. So the point of prayer, according to Jesus, is not to impress people, but to spend time with God. I think the best indicator of our spiritual maturity is not how much we know or how good our prayers sound, but how much we enjoy being with Jesus in prayer. I had to stop, even as I wrote that line this week, and think, do I enjoy praying? Do I enjoy that time? Or am I like, I'm a pastor, this is expected of me. i better pray if I expect other people to pray, right? Just suffer through it. There's more exciting parts of the Christian faith, learning to be a student of Jesus, but you just got to get through prayer. I mean, let's be honest. Most of us aren't on the streets trying to impress people with our prayers, right? We're like, I just try to pray at least 30 seconds a day, you know, so I can say I do pray. It's not a big issue for us about going around and showing off how good we are at prayer. I think if there were stats for our spiritual skills, uh, my prayer stat would be real low. And I think if we're honest, a lot of our prayer stats would be real low. In the nineties, um, I collected Marvel trading cards and I uh, actually got rid of them all. They were in my collection it would have been worth over three thousand dollars. I looked it up this week, um, but I, I got rid of them. Yeah, I, don't you know, it. I know. Instead <laughs> of 10, I'm not in the gathering cards, I know, which aren't worth it. Um, but I had this card. Iron Man. Uh, stats and all the cards have stats in the back. First of all, how stupid is it? Iron Man's strength is not a six. But anyway, that's a side. That's a side issue. These stats are not realistic. But imagine yourself, if you have a stat card, where would your prayer stat be? I would be pretty low. Like it wouldn't be one of my strengths. I have other ones that might be a little bit higher, but prayer would be pretty low. I think if we're honest, most of us pray like Homer Simpson. If you have seen the Simpsons, He's not exactly, you know, a prayer genius when he prays, but it's pretty realistic. Many times my prayers are one-directional shopping list to a silent sky. I think we have a video of Homer Simpson, and see if you can relate to this.
1: Oh,
0: yeah.
1: hey, God is good for me and I'm nice. like I said, you it fast. Be just. So Here's the see you. You freeze everything as it is, and I won't ask for anything more. That is no okay. Please give me absolutely no sign. Okay, here. In gratitude, I present you this operator, of cookies and notes. Well, indeed, before you give me no sign, that would be done.
0: It's funny, but it gets a little close to home sometimes, right? Like, God, if you want me to do this, just give me no time. Okay, I didn't hear anything. I'm just going to go ahead and do what I wanted to do all along, you know? And uh, sometimes we use prayer as an excuse. We're like, well, I prayed about it did not really want to do it, but I prayed about it, and God didn't put a huge sign in this guy, so I'm just going to choose to do what I want, and uh, yeah, but now if you disagree with me, you're fighting against God, because I said I prayed about it, you know, mm-hmm. like we use prayer manipulatively, Jesus seems to have a completely different experience with prayer than I do, and what I imagine you do, I think if we change our prayer lives, it's going to change our whole lives. If we become students of how Jesus prayed, I think it'll radically change us. If you could do one thing in 2020 so the year wasn't a whole bust, right? If you could do one thing to radically change your spiritual life, I'd say this change your prayer life. Because if you change your prayer life, everything else changes as a result. In Luke 5:16, it says Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. He'd go away to a quiet place, he'd go out in the wilderness, he'd go away from people, and he'd pray. Over and over again in the Gospels, the story of Jesus' life and death and resurrection, we see Jesus withdraw from the crowds, even withdraw from his disciples, and pray. He would get up early to pray, he would stay up all night to pray. There'll just be these little, like, half a verse on the side sometimes, and it'll be like, Jesus went over here and prayed all night. Jesus was up here praying, and so, you know, the disciples were going to do this. He didn't act like prayer was a chore. He acted like prayer was a delight. It was a gift. It was his life blood. John Mark Comer, a pastor in Portland, said this. I thought it was such a great quote. Prayer was the center of Jesus' life with God. And if we want to be students of how Jesus lived and loved, prayer needs to become the center of our lives, too. Now, in Luke 11, 1, Jesus' disciples see him praying all the time. They've been with him for a while. And they're like, look, you're having a very different prayer experience than we are. Can you teach us to pray? Like, we know what we're supposed to say, but we don't want to do it as much as you seem to enjoy doing it. And you know what he tells them when they say, teach us to pray? He tells them the Lord's Prayer, the same prayer that we find here on the Sermon on the Mount. What um, I've heard dozens of sermons about the Lord's Prayer and uh, dozens of dissections about what to pray. But I think the beauty of this passage is that Jesus was doing more than just telling us what we should pray about. I think he was letting us know how we could approach prayer in the same way that he did. How we could love prayer instead of loathe it. So, let's see what he has to do. Say about prayer, and if you don't mind, we don't do this very often, um, but let's read it aloud together. Okay, Matthew six nine fifteen. Our Father in heaven, uh, was reading okay. okay, thank you. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not, not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. one. And then after the prayer, he adds this For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Now, uh, something very curious here. The first word is our. That's not how most of my prayers are. My, me, I, that's how my prayers start. But that's not how Jesus starts his prayer. He begins by praying our Father, not my Father. Over and over again, he talks about throughout this prayer, our debts, our bread. There's no I in this prayer. It's like its He's an <laughs> other-focused prayer. Prayer? Prayer. Person who prays. Say that. In Jesus' mind, prayers were for the benefit of a people, never just an individual. As an American, I have very individualistic prayers, and that stands in stark contrast to Jesus' model prayer here, and I think Jesus' entire lifestyle. I pray for my breath, I pray for my needs, I pray to my Father. But Jesus said, it's our Father. Our death. Our bread. Hmm. Our bread.
2: Hmm. We
0: were all in it together.
2: Amen.
0: Jesus sees prayer as an act of an individual acting on behalf of a people. Now, think about what you pray for and how you pray. Are your prayers all about you? Or are they all about God and others? Jesus saw his story as connected to other people in community. And prayer was not to impress other people. It was to serve other people, to help other people. Jesus, the next word here in the prayer is Father. Jesus calls God Father. And if you look at the life of Jesus, rarely does he call God God. He almost always calls him Father, there's a few instances where he says God. I think that saying Father in our prayers should stop and make us consider who we are talking to. Now i have a father, and he is a man named Jeff. I think we have a picture of him. Yep, there he is. He's wearing the Horizon hat I gave him. So, <laughs> rep the Horizon. Thanks, Dad. Um, like all human fathers, he has flaws. He didn't have a dad, and his dad died when he was very young. He had to figure out what it meant to be a father. But if I took out my cell phone right now and I called him up and I said, Dad, I'm in trouble. I need some money. He would get that money to me today, whatever he had to do. If I called him up and I said, Dad, I need a kidney or I'm going to die, he would hop up on an operating table as soon as possible to get me a kidney. He's my father. He's for me. He's with me, and he'll do whatever it takes to help me. when we say father in prayer whether you have a great relationship with your father or a terrible one the picture we're supposed to think of is a god who is with us and for us just like my father is with me and for me and he would hop up on a cross to help you that's who we're talking to when we pray he longs to do good for us and to see us grow and mature i don't ever think like man does my dad want to destroy me No, I I have 36 years of experience of seeing him do good for me and sacrifice for me. I know he is with me and for me. And so when we say father, we're supposed to think of even better than our best human fathers. Even better than us if we're fathers. We long to see children grow and develop and good to happen to them. And that's who we're talking to when we pray. Father, I'm about to come to you with everything that's heavy and hard, and I knew they were with me and for me. The next thing Jesus prays is for the name of God to be hallowed. Hallowed be your name. You know, just a normal phrase you say all the time, right? You know? Yeah, and you're like, hey, what's up? Hallowed be your name. You know, right? Nobody says that. So, what does that mean? I mean, the only time I ever hear about hallows is in October Halloween, because it was the day before All, uh, all Saints Day. It was a holy night Halloween. Um, The other time I hear about Hallows is when I watch Harry Potter every year. You know, it's October. I'm like, got to watch back through Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows, you know. Um, Hallow means to make holy or to honor, to hold up high. As students in Jesus, we have the name of Jesus on us. Literally, the name Christian means little Christ. As a disciple, we claim to be apprentices of how Jesus lived in love, and so when we live in love a certain way, people look at us and say, that's what Jesus must be like. And so when we say, hallowed be your name, what he's praying is, as we take the name of Jesus upon us, we should pray that as representatives of His name, that we elevate the name of Jesus instead of dragging it through. We can either hallow the name of Jesus by the way that we live and love out of the world, or we can desecrate the name of Jesus by the way that we treat people around us. We could do lots of spiritual activities, we could pray beautiful prayers, but if we treat people poorly, we have not hallowed the name of Jesus, we have desecrated it. Mm-hmm. Jesus says that we should ask for the strength as a community to bear his name well. Because guess what? It's not just you. But it's the reputation of the entire community that you unite with. It's all of Horizon. Right? Like, what one of us does as a uh, part of Horizon, it ends up affecting Jesus' name. We're to act like he acted, to live and love like he now next, Jesus says in verse 10, your kingdom come. Our prayers should center around the kingdom of God. Jesus kicked off his ministry by saying that the kingdom of God is here. It's arrived. It's shown up in flesh and blood. It's me. It's in me and through me. We should pray for God's rule and reign to expand here on this rebel planet like it does in the places God controls. It says your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom expands from where you are to where you are. That you and I get to choose to live with Jesus as our King. That's what it means to become His disciple, His student, His apprentice. The kingdom of God is where Jesus gets what He wants, not what we want. When we pray for the kingdom to come, we're praying that we live and love like Jesus, but we're also praying that more people live and love like Jesus. That His role and reign expands from my heart and mind into your heart and mind, into our friends' hearts and minds, and our co workers and our families neighbors, and to our city, and to our world. We're praying that people have a leadership change in their hearts and minds, that they advocate the throne of their lives, where they get to decide what's right and wrong, and they say, you know what, I think I'm going to let Jesus be in charge. Jesus next says that we should pray for God's will to be done. Now this is interesting, because most of the time, we assume that God's will gets done whether we do anything or not, but that's not Jesus' business. Jesus says something have you ever heard this, like, you got a flat tire and you're like, well, it must be God's will. I don't know if that's God's will necessarily. Like, I think God intervenes in our world, but a lot of times we have a very fatalistic view of what happens in our lives, and we say that's God's will. But what Jesus says is, you should pray for God's will to be done, and so if we think that through logically, that means if you don't pray— there may be some things that you wants to happen that don't happen because you and I did not pray. Something about the prayer of God's people brings change on God's planet. Prayer isn't just about getting your will done on earth. It's about getting God's will done on earth. Most of the time when we approach prayer, I approach it like this. I really want something to happen, and I'm going to pray about it. And I'm going to pray as long as it takes, and I'm going to try to say the right words so I get what I want. You know? Like as a kid, when you learn the right way to manipulate your parents to get the <laughs> present you really, really want, or like when you're married and you're like, I really want a Nintendo Switch, but my wife says I don't need it, and I'll just talk about it constantly until she's so sick of it, she's like, Buy the stupid thing so I don't have to hear about the Nintendo Switch anymore. And I'm like, Thank you, it works, you know? Um, that is not how Jesus works. That is not how prayer works. We pray to get what He wants done on earth, not what we want done on earth. Most of us have been taught, if you've been around church at all, to pray in Jesus' name, right? And what does that mean? Well, we tack, in Jesus' name I pray, on the end of every selfish prayer that we pray, and then God has to do it, right? That's kind of what we've been taught, like, I really need a new Ferrari, in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Um, That's not what it means to pray in the name of Jesus. It means you're praying as a representative of Jesus. You're, like, if someone's signing in your name... They're signing on behalf of you a document that they would sign. They've given you the authority to act as their representative. When we pray in Jesus' name, that doesn't mean tacking that canned phrase onto the end of your prayer. It means praying for what Jesus would pray for if he was in your shoes, in your situation, in your life. So prayer takes a lot of thought. It takes getting to know who Jesus is and what he's about and what he would ask for if he were you. Prayer is a form of discipleship. By spending time with Jesus in prayer, we become like him and we begin to ask for what he would want. We begin to work for the outcomes that he has led us to pray for. You say, wait a minute, Alex, led us to pray for it. Like, I'm like Homer. Like I'm I pray and it's just silent. The sky is empty. I'm like, give me a sign here, God, and I hear nothing. I mean, usually we think of prayers as very one-sided, like a monologue to the sky or the ceiling. And I tell you, sometimes when I pray, it really feels like that. It feels like I am talking like a madman to the ceiling, and no one is listening or responding. What am I doing? But I think Jesus enjoyed prayer as a conversation, not a monologue. And I think many times we don't enjoy prayer because it's a monologue with just us, instead of a dialogue or a conversation with God. I know a lot of people who often uh, accuse God of the same thing when I talk to them. They say, "Well, if God is there, why is He so darn silent?" Except they don't say "darn"; they usually say something stronger, right? So they're like, "Why is God so silent if He's actually there?" And maybe they're hurting. Maybe they're feeling helpless, and they're like, "Where is God?" But I think often God seems silent because we pray with our Bibles closed. You know, I can't. I can't expect. Uh, to get a text message. As I saw someone tweet this week, they were like, you can't expect to hear from God if your Bible's closed. You can't expect to get a text if you've turned off your phone. I think God's speaking all the time. What I find is, we just usually avoid the places we know He'll speak. Mm. We don't show up at places like this. We don't open the Bible where He has said, I want to speak to you. This. We avoid those people who we know always seem to have a word from God to speak into our lives. It's just like, it's easier to not hear that, right? Like, I don't want to be bothered with that. I think the, God is speaking all the time. The question is whether or not we're stopping to listen, whether or not we're positioning ourselves to hear his voice because I think he's talking and he wants to have a conversation. And we're like, it's a lot easier on my schedule to just have a monologue. Just, you know, you listen to this voice recording I'm going to send to the sky and do what I want. And uh, I don't have time for a conversation. I don't have time for a relationship. Can you imagine if it was my wife, everybody, was like, let's never have a conversation. You know, like, you do these things for me, I'll do these things for you. We're never going to talk. I'll leave you messages. She'd be like, bye. You know, like, she'd be gone. I think she was packing up her stuff right there as we were talking. Um, but many times that's exactly how we treat. We give them a list of things we want done, but we don't have a conversation. We don't have time for a relationship. Many times I'm in too much of a rush to sit and listen for God's voice. I think perhaps the most important parts of prayer are not when we're talking, but when we're sitting quietly and we're listening. And I think part of the reason that I don't enjoy prayer is because it's me talking endlessly for three minutes and then looking at the clock and said, "Oh, it's only been three minutes. Ah, this is so hard. This is so boring. I've got to go and do something else." And I'm missing the best part of prayer, which may be the quiet, waiting and listening after I speak. Making prayer a monologue is a lot easier on my schedule. I'm a busy. Person. I'm working part-time job, I'm working at the church, I'm running around doing different things. Like we're busy people. But making prayer into a monologue makes the process miserable instead of enjoyable. Prayer requires us to build our spiritual muscles with the spiritual practices of patience and solitude and silence. Like, get away to a quiet place. It said Jesus went to lonely places, places where people didn't show up. And he said, I've got to get quiet and still so I can hear from God. So it's not just a monologue, so it's a dialogue. So next, Jesus advises us to pray for what we need for today. He says, give us today our daily bread. No more, no less. Now, that's not how I pray. I would pray for, God, give me enough abundance for the next year, or maybe even 10 years. Or, you know, like, I need a lot more than just today. Much of good prayer is centering yourself in the present with God. Not dwelling on the past or longing for the future that you don't have. But entering into my present reality with the abundant goodness of God available to me right now. Enjoying God right now. Not in the next life when I die, but into this life, in this moment, right now. The God of the universe, the God who created light and art and sex and music. He wants to meet with us. He wants to listen to us. He wants to meet our present needs. I spend so much of my time and my prayer asking for enough abundance that I can live without a daily dependence on God. I'm like, give me all the spiritual maturity right now so I don't have to go through the process. Give me everything I need right now so when, in a couple months, when this bill comes, I have what I need for it. He's like, I want to give you what you need right now, today. Start living in the present. I'm a millennial. We don't live in the present, right? We entertain ourselves out of the present so we don't have to think about it because it's too painful to fully exist in this moment right now. I might have to deal with some stuff, and I'd rather avoid it. But prayer forces us to stop, to pause, to fully be in a moment with Humanity was designed to coexist with God, not achieve independence from God. Often I ask for things to make me happy instead of finding my deepest happiness in Him. Now Jesus continues his prayer with this profound statement. You probably caught it when we read through and you were like, what? What is he doing? That's a crazy statement. He says we should pray to be forgiven by the same measure that we forgive the people who have wronged us. Now, in case his audience missed how radical this is, he circles back to it at the end of the prayer, right? In verses 14 and 15, we saw that if you forgive others, your Heavenly Father will forgive you. If you don't forgive, don't expect to be forgiven. So what does that mean? Will God really not forgive you if you don't forgive others? I think that Jesus makes it very clear in all of his teachings must forgive like he has forgiven us.
2: He tells all these parables, these short stories, and they're constantly about this.
0: If I forgave you, but you will not forgive someone else something small, how can you truly say you've been forgiven? In other words, when we forgive others, only when we forgive others will we truly internalize that we have been forgiven by God. If you struggle to believe that you are loved by God, that you are forgiven by God, you might struggle because... You have not shown forgiveness to the people who have wronged you. If you want to lean into the forgiveness of God and really enjoy it, then you need to practice forgiveness. We're only going to fully realize how forgiven we are as we practice that same radical forgiveness he has shown us. Now, Jesus goes on here and he says, lead us not into temptation." Which you're like, okay, why do I need to pray that? Is God in the habit of leading me into temptation? i got enough trouble getting into temptation on my own. I don't need God leading me there too, right? Like, let me go. I'll find temptation on my own. There's nobody needs to lead me. I find it perfectly fine by myself. Is this saying that God is testing us, like he's leading us into traps like a lab rat? You know, he's like, I built this maze. I'm going to drop him and see if you end up in the trap. No. Uh, The translation here into English is a little tricky, um, but what he's saying is, becoming like Jesus does not mean you will have the easiest life possible. I think you'll have the most abundant, most fulfilling life, but the easiest If you follow God's leading, if you follow in the footsteps of Jesus, it's going to lead to some trials, it's going to lead to some temptations, it's going to lead to some hard things because you didn't pick the easy path, you picked the meaningful path, the path that matters. I believe that nothing worth doing is easy. Think about the person that you fell in love with. Think about going to school. Think about having children or like Darby and I trying to adopt. That process has not been easy. But once we have that child in our arms, it'll be worth it. The most difficult things are often the things that bring us the most joy and the most value to our lives. Following Jesus is no exception. But... We have an unhealthy expectation in our culture that the easiest path must be God's will. That is not what I see in the Bible, and that's not what I've experienced in my life. Don't confuse the path of least resistance with the will of God. The will of God led Jesus into the desert to fast for 40 days and be tempted by the devil. The will of God led Jesus to the cross to die to rescue us all. Great things happen. But many times they are not easy. They are full of difficulty and pain. In Matthew seven thirteen, Jesus said, Enter through the narrow gate. The path that I'm walking through is a narrow path. If you're following in my footsteps, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. Jesus says, there's always two paths to life. There's one that's really well paved. It's really easy to walk on. There's nobody pushing and shoving into you. very comfortable and he says my path isn't comfortable we have to ask are we willing to walk an uncomfortable road if it brings us the peace and joy that our hearts long for see many times what we teach is well everything just worked out that must be god at work jesus teaches us the exact opposite often the easiest path is not God clearing the obstacles, because obstacles build strong, resilient disciples who live in love like Jesus. He says that over and over again. We can turn to the book of James, and he's like, hey, when you go through a drought, it builds patience. It makes you more like Jesus. It's good for you. Often the clear path has not been cleared by God. It's been cleared by devils to lead you as far from God as possible by making your life as comfortable you can live as independent from God as possible. So Jesus says that we should pray that we don't take the bait, that we don't do what is easy, that we walk in his footsteps, that we live and love like him, that we don't fall into the trap that has been set to lull us into spiritual apathy. I'm not at my spiritual best when everything is going my way. Like Homer was like, everything in my life is perfect right now, God, just freeze it right now. You know what happens when that everything's going right in my life i stop praying i stop passionately pursuing god and i'm like i'm good everything's pretty good you know it's like Mm -hmm. i do the bare minimum but when things start getting hard i realize that my soul longs for more than what i have forces me to lean further into the ways of jesus so what do we do with this so lord's prayer right like oh man Uh, in fact as i prepare for this i'm like I could go on and on for weeks and weeks, but keep to the schedule, right? So what do we do with the Lord's Prayer? I think memorizing it is good. I think praying it each morning can be good. Uh, I wrote it out in my own words just to personalize it. And sometimes I get into a situation this week, and I was like, I just prayed part of this prayer. And I was like, I want to have Jesus' mindset about prayer when I pray. So Lord, I'm going to pray this part right now, like, Don't let me fall into the temptation of doing what's easy. Let me do what's right. Let me not just live a moral life but not walk in your footsteps. Let me not avoid the hard stuff, but let me walk down the narrow road. I think praying this prayer each day prepares my heart and my mind to live my life as a student of Jesus. Now, if we just pray this, you're like, I'm just going to memorize it and pray it as this religious ritual. I don't think it does anything. But I think if it's truly the cry of your heart, I want to position my heart like Jesus' heart was positioned when he prayed. I think it could change our entire lives. So let's close our eyes and pray. And I'm just going to pray that I rewrote it in my own words. May this be our prayer this morning. Our Father in heaven, your name be high and lifted up as we carry it into the world today. Your kingdom come in us and through us. Your will, not our will, be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us what we need today, not more, not less. Forgive us our wrongs by the same measure of mercy that we show to those who have wronged us. Do not allow us to be ensnared by what's easy, but deliver us from the evil one. Amen. This morning we're going to celebrate communion together. Um, We're doing it a little bit differently these days because of COVID, and so... This, uh, this juice and this cracker and this pre sealed package is terrible tasting, and I am sorry <laughs> for that. So, it is no Welch's grape juice and Wawa hokey bread like we used to use, and I'm sorry for that. Wawa hokey bread. COVID has ruined everything, ruined <laughs> right? Because of Jesus, the word communion literally means we get to enjoy his community. We can live in community with God the Father, God the Son. And God the Holy Spirit. And Jesus told his devoted followers, his apprentices, the students of his way of life, his disciples, to take bread and wine to remember his life and his death and his resurrection. In Luke 22, uh, it says, He took the bread, he gave thanks, and he broke it. He gave it to his followers and he said, This is my body given for you. Do this to remember me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new promise in my blood, which is poured out for you. Now, the Apostle Paul warns us that this is not just some religious activity that we do, and uh, it has no value or meaning. Uh, it's a symbolic act, but it is for those who have decided to become students of how Jesus lived and loved. If you're still on the fence about Jesus, you're like, man, I'm checking him out. I don't know where I stand right now. I'm not ready to go fully in on Jesus. You can just hold off. You can drop it in the trash or leave it on your seat. No one will know this is completely between you and God. Um, If you're watching online, I invite you to take some bread or a cracker and some juice or some wine and enjoy communion with us. Remember, the method that we use uh, is not as important as the remembering that we do. We're remembering that we serve a God who loves us so much that he would jump on a cross for us. That's the Father that we pray to, and this reminds us. We're talking to a God who, if it's for my good, he would lay down his own life. The very source of life itself would die for me. This is a good time to reflect on your own personal devotion to the disciplines of Jesus. It could be a time of confession, but above all, it's a celebration that we don't earn God's love, that it was freely given for us. That because of Jesus, we can know God, we can become like so I'm going to give you a few minutes of silence to just reflect. Maybe you think of the, if there were stats in the back of your card, like, hey, my prayer life, it's a low stat. Or maybe there's some other aspect of your discipleship where you're like, ah, I've got this destructive, selfish practice, and I need you, Jesus, to begin to change me from the inside out. So we'll have a moment of silence, and then I'll pray, and we'll take communion in the abandon. We did not do anything to deserve your love, and yet you love us anyway. Thank you for coming and teaching us to live like you. Thank you for dying to rescue us from sin and death. Thank you for coming back to life to prove that you and death cannot separate us from you.
3: donate $25 to Compassion International. Um, and so we just thank you for being here to help children get out of, of poverty, and we are so grateful for you. If you'd like to give to support the work of Horizon, you can do so online at horizonfilly.com slash give. We have Venmo, PayPal, There's also a bucket by the front door. Instead of our normal prayer call, we've been meeting here at 6 and getting together, praying, praying for this community, praying for those that we can serve, and just for people to come to know Jesus. Um, If you'd like to join us, we're doing a book club every week. We've been reading just a short little section and some answers on line for that. And it's just a great way to stay connected throughout the week, and we're reading what if Jesus was serious, and it's been pretty good. It's been really uh, convicting to me just so far, um, and so I don't like that, but it's good. It is really good. Um, our core value for the week at Horizon: we are Jesus-centered. We want everything we do to center around Jesus, that he is um, you know, his death, resurrection, and his life is our focus. And we believe that the world would be a better place if people lived and loved like Jesus. We do not have a slide for this next announcement. Um, but October is Pastor Appreciation Month. And so I sent out a text. Um, and I'm very grateful that my husband is unaware. So you can come up here. And we, I just sent a text to everybody and was like, hey, can you send me a short video, which I've not been a video editing, so you get to watch all of those individually later, in a really sweet, and obviously I cried, and we had people, I don't like
0: when things are off uh, schedule,
3: well, good, um, and everybody knows how much Alex Loves cheese. And so
1: um,
3: we have some individual things of cheese that people brought or they donated money. And so,
1: that is so that's that's a great reason cheese
3: And we're just so grateful for everything that you do for Horizon, for the community, for serving Jesus, teaching us. I know me personally. Um Teaching me how to live in love, and you guys, he's the real deal. I am not easy to live with, and he serves me, very and he beautiful. loves me. And you guys know that's not true. And so we just want to say thank you. As a church, we love you,
0: we appreciate you. This is so kind. Thank you. You're Very blessed to be the pastor. No, I'm just
1: kidding.
0: <laughs> 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 you
2: guys are dismissed. Have oh, can we all stand and you guys mind if I pray for Alex? Oh, yeah, leave the arts on. Hey Darby, and uh, Alex, we're just so grateful for you in this church, and we know God's doing great things. And uh, Lord, we just thank you so much for Alex and for Darby. Lord, we are grateful for his leadership and his heart, Lord God. And we are grateful for this couple that you've called them to this area, Lord. And we believe that the seeds that are being planted now will bring forth a great harvest. I pray you just bless them, give them strength give him courage, Lord God, and I just pray that this next season will be a season of blessing, that all those seeds, all those things that were done um, without anyone seeing, Lord God, all the things that are done in secret, Lord God, that were good, that were hard, will start seeing a harvest in this next season and will be blown away by your goodness and your grace. Be with with them, be with this church, be with this community. We are so grateful for this man and his wife. Bless them in a great, great way. Jesus, we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you are dismissed. Thank you.